I'll invite you this morning, please, to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This morning we'll be looking at verses 18 through 27. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. If you are able, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's most holy word. Then some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up a seed for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married a wife and died leaving no seed. The second one married her and died leaving behind no seed. And the third likewise. And so all seven left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead are raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we open once again to your most holy word. Believing that in the scripture you speak to us just as surely as if your voice was heard audibly. Oh God, today, help each one of us in this room to realize that when scripture speaks, God speaks. Help us to listen this morning because we're listening to the very voice of God. Give us ears to hear it, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I have been blessed to make my living by preaching God's Word. But to be honest, I don't preach just because it's my job. I would gladly preach for nothing if circumstances allowed it or required it. Not because preaching is easy, it isn't easy. It's physically, emotionally, and mentally more draining than anything I've ever done. It's hard work, but it's glorious work. Take away the money, I would still preach. But, take away heaven, and I would not still be a Christian. Following Christ faithfully in this world is hard. Anyone who holds fast to biblical convictions is going to be ridiculed in this godless society. Anyone who calls sin, sin, and refuses to bow to popular opinion is most certainly going to face opposition. 
Anyone who insists that Jesus is the only way to God will be hated by many. Ever since Christ first established His church on earth, Christians have been ostracized and criticized, persecuted and executed. And He said it would be this way, didn't He? So, why in the world, in light of all that, would anybody be a Christian? Heaven. That's why. Take that away, and it just doesn't make sense. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, if our hope in Jesus doesn't extend beyond this life, you ought to really feel sorry for Christians. Because living for Jesus in this world is hard, especially for people like the Apostle Paul. Heaven is why we hold on to Jesus. But there are many who would argue that life after death is just a fantasy. They'd say the idea of heaven is just a dream. It's wishful thinking. So, how do we handle arguments against life in heaven? How do we keep doubt from eroding our faith? How do we maintain our confidence that eternal life is a reality? Well, today we're going to find out. Beginning in Mark chapter 11, back in verse 27, we have seen various groups trying to trap Jesus in His words. They're trying to gather ammunition they can use against Him. We saw the Pharisees and they tried to trap Jesus by questioning Him about the source of His authority. The Herodians we saw last week tried to trap Jesus with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. In the verses we're looking at this morning, a third group comes to try and trap Jesus. This is a group known as the Sadducees. A group that doesn't believe in life after death. They don't believe in heaven or hell. And so they present Jesus with a made up scenario that they think proves the absurdity of believing in life after death. Now, for you and I as Christians, it is our belief in heaven that motivates us to stay faithful to Jesus. We believe He is the only way to eternal life. Now, today, as we see how Jesus answers those who try to argue against life after death, I believe it will strengthen our own confidence that life in heaven is a reality. And if I were to boil this whole text of Scripture down to one sentence, that would be it. Life in heaven is a reality. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Now let's look at the scripture together. Here's the first thing I want you to see in verses 18 through 23. Arguments against life in heaven 
are based on false assumptions. Arguments against life in heaven are based on false assumptions. There are many people who assume that there is no heaven simply because they assume that there's no such thing as life after death. We're introduced to a group like that in verse 18, the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees are mostly Jewish aristocrats. They're the, the wealthy men of high standing among the Jews. They are the dominant families among the priests. And they were, they were probably a majority of the men who made up the Jewish Sanhedrin Council, which was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. Now Mark tells us in verse 18 that the Sadducees were known especially for the fact that they didn't believe in a resurrection. In other words, they didn't believe that after people died, they would one day be raised back to life. When you die, you're just dead. That's it. The end. Well, here's the reality. The resurrection of the dead is not a teaching that is well developed in the Old Testament. You may have noticed that. In fact, in the early centuries of Judaism, the Jewish religion, there didn't really appear to be any concept of life after death. The dead went to a place called Sheol, the grave, the realm of the dead. There was no clearly developed teaching regarding the resurrection of the dead and eternal life in early Jewish religion. That's why... In the Bible, you see passages like this in Psalm chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Return, O Yahweh, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? You ever read passages like that and think it sure sounds like they didn't believe in life after death? Well, in early Jewish religion, there wasn't a really a lot of teaching about life after death. Now, that doesn't mean there were no clues that there would be life after death. But it wasn't until later on that those clues were recognized and developed. Now, let me be clear. There are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that speak clearly of resurrection and life after death. Let me give you a couple. Here's Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Here's another one for you. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to reproach and everlasting contempt. So there are some verses in the Old Testament that teach clearly the resurrection of the dead and life after death. So here's the question. Why didn't the Sadducees accept passages like that as true? Here's why. Because the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible as authoritative, what was known as the Pentateuch or the Torah. That's the only books of the Bible they thought were authoritative. So those verses in Isaiah and Daniel, they didn't accept those as true. And if you read the first five books of the Bible, it doesn't say a lot about life after death, so they assumed there must be no such thing. But that's just that. It's just an assumption. 
It's an argument from silence. It's a false assumption. Now, I want you to see something. In verses 19 through 23, what the Sadducees do, they confront Jesus with a made-up scenario. It's a scenario they made up. They're trying to make the case that the idea of life after death, the idea of life in heaven is absurd. And their whole argument, as we're going to see, their entire argument is based on a false assumption. So they give this scenario, verses 19 through 21, about a man who has a wife. He dies without having children. So his brother marries his wife to have children in his behalf. The second brother dies and has no children. The third brother marries the woman to raise up children for his brother. He dies and doesn't have children. All seven brothers marry this woman. They all die, leave no children. So the question they ask Jesus in verse 23, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had married her. In the resurrection. What does that mean? In the resurrection means after people have been raised from the dead. Life in eternity. What we would call life in heaven. Right? After Jesus raises us all from the dead and we live forever. That's what they mean by in the resurrection. Life after we come back from the dead to live with Jesus forever. They say, okay, during those times, since all seven brothers had married her, Whose wife is she going to be? The scripture they're referring to in verse 19. They said, Moses said, If a man's brother dies, leaves a wife, has no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up seed, raise up children. That teaching comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. If brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, then the wife of the one who died shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take to her himself his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. This is a practice known as leveret marriage. Leveret marriage is a social custom that was designed to, pre to prevent the intermarriage of Jews with Gentiles and to keep a family's inheritance intact. I want you to think about something. If a woman's husband died and she remarries another man from a different family and has a child, then ultimately when, when they die, her family's inheritance will ultimately pass into the father's family of the son. You understand? In other words, her family inheritance would ultimately go to another man's family. So they didn't want it. They wanted the inheritance to stay intact within the family so the brother of the dead man would marry the wife. Now, this is an important issue for the Sadducees. Why? Because they believed the only way a man survived was through his family line. In other words, the only way a man's life could continue after death was through his family and legacy. So this teaching of leveret marriage is important for them. They said there's no life after death. The way a man lives on is through his legacy, his family. So they pose this question. 
seven brothers, they all marry her. They do what the Bible says. Which one is going to be her husband in heaven? Since belief in the resurrection makes it possible for this ridiculously complex marriage situation to exist in the afterlife, the whole idea of life after death is absurd. In other words, what they're saying, look, if you believe in life after death, then it could lead to some really ridiculous, complex situations. So for them, that just makes the whole idea of resurrection ridiculous. Here's the problem. The whole scenario is based on an assumption. And here's the assumption. The whole scenario is based on the assumption that life in heaven exists essentially the same as life on earth. They're assuming that things will work in heaven after we rise from the dead basically the same way they work now. In other words, we'll still have families and still get married and still do all the same things. In other words, they're assuming that life in the next life is just an extension of life in this life only under more glorious conditions. It's like this life, only a lot better. See, in the mind of Sadducees, Jesus only had two options. Either he had to argue somehow that the wife belonged to the first husband, or he had to concede that life after death was an absurd concept. In their mind, he only had one of those two choices. But what I want you to see is their argument against life after death was based on a false assumption. It was based on the false assumption that life in heaven will basically be like life on earth, only much, much better. And can I tell you, even Christians are guilty of assuming that life in heaven will basically be the same as life on earth, only better. Suppose your grandmother used to enjoy baking cakes and bringing them to her neighbors. At her funeral, somebody says, I bet grandma's already baking cakes and bringing them to all her neighbors in heaven. Or, or your dad loved to fish. So at the funeral, somebody says, I bet he's catching a big one right now. Well, you're making an assumption. Now, comments like that may bring a small measure of comfort in the moment, and they may seem harmless, but comments like that are based on an assumption that things in heaven are basically like things on earth. It assumes that we're going to have the same hobbies, the same occupations, the same relationships, the same family groups, even the same personality. All of that are assumptions for which there are no biblical support. And when people try to make arguments against life after death, those arguments are always based on assumptions. They've never seen anybody come back from the dead, so they assume that it's not possible. Right? right. Now, here's the second thing I want to show you. Arguments against life in heaven are due to a lack of knowledge. The first thing we said is this. Arguments against life in heaven are based on false assumptions. 
arguments against life in heaven now we see are due to a lack of knowledge. Verse 24. Jesus said to the Sadducees, is this not the reason you are mistaken that you do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God? Why do people have these false assumptions about life after death and life in heaven? Where do these false assumptions come from? Well, in verse 24, Jesus says it boils down to a lack of knowledge. He says, you do not understand. Literally, that is, you do not know. Two things he says you don't know. You don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. False assumptions about life after death are due to a lack of knowledge in these two specific areas. A lack of knowledge of scripture and a lack of knowledge of the power of God. Now, I want you to understand this reply from Jesus in verse 24 to the Sadducees. It's a very aggressive reply. He said, you know what's wrong with you? You know why you're so wrong? Because you don't know. You're ignorant of the power of God and the scripture. Can I tell you this comment from Jesus would have been highly offensive to the Sadducees? For Jesus to say to the Sadducees, you don't know the scripture, would be like telling Wall Street, you don't know nothing about finance. You see, the Sadducees considered themselves the experts on scripture. And Jesus is telling you don't know the scripture at all. For one thing, as we've already seen, they denied the authority of most of the scripture. They only acknowledged the first five books. As Jesus is going to show, even in just a minute, even the part they thought they knew, they didn't really know. Couldn't the same thing be said of many people today? Can I tell you something? Just because someone can quote a lot of scripture does not mean they understand any of it. Amen. I have heard people say, oh, my, my grandma, she, she, she knows the word of God. She didn't really go to church, but she could remember a lot of scripture from when she was a kid and growing up. So she had a lot of that stuff memorized. But there's no evidence she understood or, or believed any of it. She just knew a lot of it in her head. A lot of people know what the Bible says. Listen to what I'm telling you. Wrong ideas and beliefs about God are the result of not knowing, not understanding what the scripture teaches about God. Wrong ideas and beliefs about salvation are a result of not knowing what the scripture teaches about salvation. In the same way, wrong ideas about life after death or life in heaven are the result of not knowing what the scripture teaches. Or going beyond what the scripture teaches. Let me ask you a question. Why do students get test answers wrong when all of the right answers are in the textbook? It doesn't make sense. Why would they ever miss an answer if all the answers are right there in the book they're supposed to be reading? They don't know the book. Why do people have such these off-base thoughts about heaven and afterlife? Why do they have these false assumptions? Because they don't know the book. And for some, their false assumptions about 
life after death are the result of just denying the scriptures altogether. There are those who deny the whole concept of God and heaven because they reject the Bible as the inspired word of God. But the fundamental problem is the same. They don't know, they don't believe the word of God. But it's not just a failure to understand scripture that causes false assumptions. It's a failure to understand the power of God. The Sadducees vastly underestimated the power of God to raise the dead and create a new heaven and earth. You see, they were blinded to the fact that God has power not only to raise the dead, but to give them eternal life so that they will never die. They underestimated the power of God. Think about this. Think about people who deny creation. The universe must be a product of chance because no one is powerful enough to create the universe from nothing. What is that? It's a false assumption based on a lack of knowledge about the power of God. Once a person is truly dead and they've been in the grave for years, their body's just dirt, it's just not possible to give that corpse life again. What's that? Same thing. It's a false assumption based on a lack of knowledge of the power of God. Listen, man became a living being the first time when God breathed life into dirt. If he did it once, why can't he do it again? Why can't he breathe life into the dirt that lies in a casket six feet under the ground? You, you see, they're just these false assumptions. And they're all based on a failure to believe the scripture, to know the scripture, and a failure to understand and know the power of God. Let me make a third observation this morning. Verses 25 through 27, I want you to see this. Arguments against life in heaven fail in the light of truth. Arguments against life in heaven fail in the light of truth. So the Sadducees have presented Jesus with this argument designed to prove that belief in life after death is absurd. But as we've already seen, the entire argument is based on a false assumption. So how do you respond to a false assumption? Well, you respond with the truth. And that's what Jesus does in verses 25 through 27. Now, in verse 25, Jesus addresses the issue of marriage in heaven, which is what their argument is about. How's marriage going to work in heaven? Verse 25. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. When the dead are raised... That's referring to an event described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So when that happens, Jesus says... We're raised from the dead to live forever in the new heaven and the new earth. He says they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. When he says they will not marry, 
He's talking about the husband acquiring a wife. He's saying husbands will no longer seek to acquire wives. And when he says they will not be given in marriage, he means fathers will no longer give their daughters to be married. So they won't seek wives. They won't be given. The wives won't be given to husbands. So the whole institution of marriage will not be a part of life in heaven. Once we're in heaven, Jesus says, believers will be like angels. Listen to me very, very clearly. That does not mean we will be angels. Regardless of how popular the idea sounds, or how many times you've seen it on a greeting card, or how many times you've heard it at a funeral, People do not become angels. No one ever has. No one ever will. Are you listening to me? Nobody that you love that passed away is now your guardian angel. Angels are created beings. They were never human. You listening? Say amen if you heard what I said. Nobody you know died and became an angel. You're not going to get to heaven and get wings. Sorry. By the way, there's no necessary correlation to angels having wings anyway. So he's saying we'll be like angels. What does he mean? He means angels don't reproduce. They don't They don't die so they don't have any need to continue the race they, they live forever listen life on earth is temporary thus there is the need to marry to be able to reproduce and continue the race continue the species but once we're in heaven we will be eternal beings continuing the race will no longer be necessary that means procreation and marriage are no longer necessary they serve no purpose in heaven we won't have to be fruitful and multiply because the race doesn't die off. Now listen. The resurrected life is not just a prolonged earthly life. The Sadducees' misunderstanding about the afterlife was because they thought it was like the earthly life, just extended. Assume we would still marry and all of those things. But life in heaven is life in an entirely new dimension. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is explaining that believers who die will be buried as physical bodies, but will be raised with new heavenly spiritual bodies. In verses 50 to 53, he says this, Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the corruptible inherit the incorruptible. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, this mortal must put on Im immortality. In other words, when we are raised from the dead, we will receive new eternal bodies. Why? Because we will live in a new, entirely different realm. Entirely different life in an entirely different realm. In other words, in heaven, 
Brad will be no more Debbie's brother than he is my brother. Why? Because flesh and blood don't inherit the kingdom of God. On earth, he's her brother in a way that he is not my brother because they're related by flesh and blood. But flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. When we get to heaven, we won't have blood and flesh connections. We'll be spiritual. All of us will be brothers and sisters equally. Are you with me? It's life in an entirely different realm. Now, Jesus does not elaborate on the details of what life in heaven will be like. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot of what life in heaven is going to be like. What is Jesus doing here? He's putting just enough of the weight of truth on the Sadducees' argument to cause it to collapse. In other words, he's telling them just enough about life after death to show that their argument holds no water. It can't hold up. And in verses 26 through 27, Jesus uses the scripture to answer their false assumption that there is no life after death. Remember, this whole thing started because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe there's life after death. So Jesus addresses that in verse 26. Regarding the fact that the dead are raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Jesus quotes from Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. When God met Moses at the burning bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The implication is that they still live in some way. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Implying that they still exist. He's still their God in some way. In verse 20, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He would not say he was their God if they were gone and they existed no more in any capacity. In some way, they still exist because he is still their God. Now, I want you to make sure you notice something. What book of the Bible is Jesus quoting from? I just told you. The burning bush. What book does that come from? Exodus. Why is that important when Jesus is talking to the Sadducees? Because that's one of the five books they accept as authoritative. See, they say that there's nothing in the Scripture about heaven, but Jesus goes to the part of the Scripture they do believe in and just uses logic against them. You see what he's doing? He's taking them and showing them what he just said. You don't know the scripture. You don't know what the scripture really teaches. Listen, when Jesus shines the light of truth on the false assumptions of the Sadducees, their effort to disprove life after death just falls apart. It collapses. What does all that mean? The believer's resurrection to eternal life is not just wishful thinking. It is not, listen, life in heaven is not something we believe in merely to help us deal with the harshness and the finality of death. Eternal life in heaven is is a reality grounded in the very words of the God who cannot lie. 
Life in heaven is a reality. And if life in heaven is a reality, there are four things that are absolutely true. And I want to list them for you. Here's the first one. If life in heaven is a reality, then life in hell is a reality. You see, the Bible doesn't just teach that the believing will live after death, but that also the unbelieving will be raised from the dead. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sits upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen to me. Life after death is not just for believers, it's for unbelievers. The believing, those who are born again will live forever in heaven. Those who are not born again will live forever in hell. What that means today, dear friend, is this. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never repented of your sins and looked to Him for salvation and surrendered yourself to follow Him, you should do that before your opportunity is gone. Here's the second thing. If life in heaven is a reality, here's the second thing that's true. Faithfulness to Christ must be top priority. Hebrews 2 verse 1. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. You remember when Paul said in Philippians 3... I don't count myself to have obtained, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward the lot for what lies ahead, I strive for the prize of the high calling of God, right? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the attitude we should have. Because life in heaven is a reality, we must let nothing turn us away from faithfulness to Jesus. Your top priority in life should be remaining faithful to Jesus. If heaven's real, then you can't afford to take it for granted. You need to have faithfulness to Christ as your top priority. Here's the third thing. Life in heaven is a reality. You have great cause to examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. If life in heaven is a reality, then you can't afford just to assume that you've truly been born again. You need to do what the Bible says and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Does your life truly give evidence that the Spirit of God is alive on the inside? Did you just have some religious experience or were you truly born again as evidenced by a transformed life and love for Jesus? Listen, you have grace cause to examine yourself. Here's the fourth thing. If life in heaven is a reality, you have a source of great comfort. You have a source of great comfort. I want to go back and read 1 Thessalonians 4 again. 
This time verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. There's no greater comfort in a life of difficulty and pain, in a life that sometimes is hard because we strive to be faithful to Jesus. Our greatest comfort is knowing that one of these days, one of these days, no more tears. Like we sang, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. One of these days will fly away. And what a day that will be. Amen? That's our greatest comfort in this life. That's our greatest comfort in this life. J.R. Edwards wrote this. The glorious realities of the life to come can no more be compared to the everyday routines of earthly life than can butterflies be compared to caterpillars. Present earthly experience is entirely insufficient to forecast divine heavenly realities. We can no more imagine heavenly existence than an infant in the womb can imagine a Beethoven piano concerto or the Grand Canyon at sunset. Life after death is not a fantasy. Heaven is not a dream. Heaven is a reality. Oh, listen, church, don't allow the arguments of the ignorant and unbelieving to sway you. What awaits you is wonderfully, unimaginably glorious. Oh, friend, hold on to Jesus because heaven waits. Let's pray.